The trade deadline is here. What will the Mets do? We'll discuss what they need, losing three out of five to the Braves, and we look ahead to Black Jersey Friday and Carlos Carrasco's Mets debut. Finally. We also hear from you, the listeners, in You Got Mail, including voicemails from the likes of Doc Gooden, Jim Duquette, and Moose and Maggie. So throw on your black jerseys. It's a trade deadline edition of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh, welcome to a trade deadline edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here alongside Nelson Figueroa. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy NY. Give us a five-star rating, write in a nice review. We appreciate your support. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. No guests, but we do have guests in terms of voicemails in our hotline. And we have some uh, interesting ones, Figgy. Doc Gooden called in, uh, Moose and Maggie. So uh, stay tuned for that in the second half of the show. We are recording here on a Friday morning, Figgy, as we wait for moves to happen. Tweet deck refreshing. So when you listen to the show, it's 1130 a.m. Friday. So nothing has happened yet with the Mets. We are going to Black Jersey Friday. We'll be in the building. You'll be in your Nelson Figueroa Black Jersey. I'll be in my Carlos Beltran Black Jersey. My last name is not Beltran, and I didn't wear number 15, but you will be in that 27. Excited for that, but yeah, no moves yet, so I'm not going to overreact and say the Mets didn't do anything, Figgy, because something might happen after we record this. This was the issue here, but you know, not our fault with timing. So if you're listening and something did happen, don't mind us, but you know, this team does need a starter. And if they get one, great. If they don't, it's a lot of what ifs, Figgy. It's a lot of, all right, let's hope Carrasco, who makes his debut tonight, is good. Let's hope he's the guy that we hoped for when we got him alongside Lindor. We said when they got him that he would be a key piece. He wasn't just a plus one. We said that. So that's going to be big to see what he does. DeGrom seems to be throwing. He seems he'll make a rehab start probably the next week. And we'll see him by the time they have that tough 12 game stretch against the Dodgers and Giants but it's what ifs what if this guy's good Taiwan Walker's an issue we'll get into that in a second he struggled so you know the bats are what ifs they haven't performed like we thought but they do have the talent in the lineup they just haven't performed so the Mets really need to add because everyone else is and because you're hoping for a lot of what ifs and a not of a lot of all right we have the depth and we don't have to worry if this guy does well yeah it's not a you don't have to worry anymore we're really looking for this team to continue Staying in first place. Um, the Braves are playing much better baseball. They've made a bunch of moves to make themselves better. Already see what the Dodgers and Padres have done. The Giants have been sitting up atop, you know, baseball, 20-some-odd games above 500. No one knows how or why. Can't name, you know, a five-man rotation. If you could, I'd give you a 1000 bucks. But they haven't made any moves, which has been kind of crazy to sit back and think if they were going to do something, you know the Dodgers are, have gotten so much stronger if this trade does go through with Scherzer and Trey Turner. Oh, it's pretty much done, Figgy. And I think everyone's wishing that the Giants win the division because then the Padres and uh, Dodgers, one of them gets knocked down the wild card. That's a Mets fan's dream right there. Oh, absolutely. That's what you're hoping for, right? Because then right now, though, you got... Corey Seager is coming back today, so it will be Trey Turner and Corey Seager, 
activated. Scherzer will be pitching in four days, five days, because he just pitched yesterday. And, you know, the Dodgers look like they're ready to make a move. Uh, they're only about three games back behind the Giants. And so it's puzzling to see what the Giants have not been able to do anything really as well as the Mets. You know, we keep hearing that the market is very, you know, they're asking for a lot. They're asking for a lot. The Yankees are making moves. The Yankees just acquired two all-stars, an Arizzo and a Gallo. So they were able to make it happen. I'm not really sure how. The trade package that went over to the Nationals didn't seem very significant. It was four players prized catching prospect, but I, I'm not seeing anything that doesn't seem like the Mets could be on on caliber or on par with the other teams to kind of get these type of players. So I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And if they don't do anything, do you start thinking differently about what's going on? I know the plan is a five-year plan, right? That's what Stevie Cohen said. It was going to be a five-year plan, but how could you not want to go for it right now. We've seen the Mets do this before in 2015. This is a much better team than the 2015 team was at this time of the season. And when you're talking about all the pieces that are coming back, yes, you got a DeGrom coming back. Carrasco starts tonight. You're hoping that Syndergaard can do something, anything down the stretch run. You're dealing with injuries from people and you've lost a lot of pitchers along the way. Every arm will help. So getting someone, but I don't know if it's just someone. I know they keep talking about that this team has great chemistry and they don't want to you know, mess with the chemistry in the clubhouse. And these guys really all like each other. So they're worried about subtracting some of these. But I haven't seen anybody giving up major league all-stars to get other major leaguers thus far. It's been a, for a bunch of prospects. And most of the guys that have been given up have been rentals. So I think the Mets are looking for significant pieces. We keep hearing Bryant, Baez, Davies. A uh, combination of those. Kimbrell's name hasn't been thrown out there, but I mean, if you're going to go for it, you might as well go get him as well. These other playoff teams are getting better. The Dodgers are becoming the Miami Heat with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. I mean, I thought they also got, did they get Westbrook yesterday too? Yeah. LA, LA, LA got, got Westbrook. Westbrook, Scherzer, and Turner. God, just throw the parade now. <laughs> but that's why we need the Giants to win the division because if one of the Padres and Dodgers gets knocked out, that's like a breath of fresh air. And not that we, we got to respect the Giants, but again, like you said, we don't really know them. We don't know how they're doing this. We don't know how they're playing so well. So if it's Brewers, Giants, one of the Dodgers or Padres, and then us, then you're feeling a little bit better. But if, if it's uh, the Dodgers and Padres get in and Giants are out, that's, I think, what Mets fans have nightmares over. And listen, if they don't make a move, I like this team. I like the heart of this team. They do have guys coming back, so maybe they're fine as is. Who knows, in October, it may just come down to Jacob DeGrom being healthy, Stroman being great, Carrasco coming in being good, and Rich Hill being that guy. But again, ideally, you would like to get someone. But there is excitement in the air no matter what because it's going to be a packed house Friday. The black jerseys, which you said you loved wearing as a player. They're having a blackout at City Field. You know, a three games against the Reds. Reds are a good team, over 500. You're going to see Sonny Gray. You're going to see Miley. You're going to get the debut of Carrasco. You're getting Rich Hill. So it's an exciting weekend ahead, Figgy, and it's a big weekend and a big week ahead before, you know, that stretch coming up like we talked about with the Dodgers and the Giants because, unfortunately, they lost the game in the standings because they lost 3-5. to five. It was a disappointing week in some ways against the Braves. You hope to win that series against a team that obviously has been dealing with injuries but, like you said, is still making moves and still trying to get in there as they should, as the Phillies are you know, who are going up against the Nationals and losing to a Nationals team that everyone's putting the Will Smith gif alone in the living room now for Juan Soto, who's looking around with no teammates left. But and now they just found out that the Nats will be without 
It just broke Starling Castro, who's a 30-game suspension for violating the league's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. So now, without another key player, the Nationals, I mean, they're pretty much done. But uh, some frustration this week with the lineup just not doing a lot, Figgy. Zero runs, one run, two runs, three runs. Just a lineup that has a lot of guys in there but again, continues to underperform. Yeah, up and down the lineup. And, you know, the three runs happened with two bombs by Alonzo. Alonzo's gotten hot with the long ball. This team must be better up and down the lineup. It's too deep. There's too many guys that are, are quality hitters. We talked about how they're going through streaks like this. It, it's fun when they are playing that team element of baseball where we see them getting these small hits and they're getting the hits in bunches. Yeah, it's fun to see the home runs. That's great. And the home run horse, the whole nine yards. But the home run horse for solo shots really isn't amounting to much, right? So I'm looking for this team. You need Nimmo to get on much more often than he did. He came out of the shoot from being on the IL for so long. He came out red hot and was getting on base. You know, he was almost at a 500 clip. And now you're seeing that dwindle down. He's struggling a little bit. He's been a little bit better versus lefties. We've seen um, he's been working hard at that, taking extra BP off the left-handed BP thrower. So he's starting to come around a little bit. Conforto has been hot and cold with the best of them. He still has not found his stroke. Dom Smith seemed to, you know, put it all together for a little while as well. And, and I think that's what this team does is they go through these stretches and usually you can count on the starting pitching to give them the, the depth and, and go deep into games that will allow them to only have to score two, three, four runs. But when you have two fifths of your rotation being TBA or TBD, it's not going to really get it done in a playoff push. And it, it's strenuous when I look at this schedule in August, it, this is really strenuous because the, the Reds are no laughing matter. We just went, they went to battle with them in Cincinnati. You got the Marlins who in Miami, for some reason, even Jacob DeGrom, that seems to have been his kryptonite for a long time was the Marlins in Miami. Then you come back, you got the uh, on the road against the Phillies. No team in the National League East plays well on the road, so you already have all these road games. And then you have the Nationals again at home, the Dodgers go out west to the Giants, the Dodgers again, and the Giants again. There's no let-up. There's no let-up, and there's no time to sit back wondering, you know, what if or when could they and – this guy needs to it, all hands on deck. I'd be surprised and disappointed. I'm going to have to say it. I'll be disappointed if they don't have some additions because you need more reinforcements. You can't can't look for a, a fifth DFAing of Ikoff as our saving grace in August, when especially when you see all these teams lined up. Yeah, it's just too many injury concerns, and the Mets. You know, they got to be for they got to be all in this year. I know it's the, the we talk about the window. They have shown too much positive things. To be like, all right, let's just keep rolling with what we got because there's bound to be another injury that we don't know about. This Taiwan Walker thing, and we'll get to that now, Figgy. He just has been bad in July. June and July, the ERA is over five. He gave 20 runs in the month of July, and this was a guy that you're relying on that maybe, you know, he's a starter in the playoffs. He was your all-star. He was your lone all-star. Now, if you look at what he did in July, you would laugh hearing that he made the all-star team. And with the Tommy John in the past, with the injury concerns, you're thinking to yourself, do we have to put this guy out of the rotation for a bit? Do we got to move him to the bullpen? Because this is a pennant race. These are the last two months. Time's running out here as the Mets stand with just 65 games to go here. And Tywon Walker, we don't know 
if he's part of the future. And, you know, you can't just throw DeGrom. All right, let's hope he's okay. Strowman, let's hope he doesn't implode here. Rich Hill, let's hope he could, you know, go through a third time in the lineup. We can't just keep hoping. So the Tywon Walker thing is, is a concern for sure. Yeah, he, he looks fatigued. He looks fatigued. He looks, even if it's not physically, he's mentally exhausted. He's mentally exhausted because he had been on almost every single start. And just that one little mess up and the, the Pirates game. I mean, you're talking six runs in two-thirds of an inning after being an all-star. That is just a swift kick in the nuts, right? Right to start out your second half. Then you catch on from after that, and he's given up home, more home runs in his last two outings than he did the whole you know season, really. And you're, you're wondering, is this the real Taiwan Walker? Because he had been so good, man. He had been so good, so consistent. His body language, to me, has changed. I, I'm seeing it with every, every time he misses – with a fastball and it catches plate, we're not seeing swings and misses anymore. Their balls are leaving the yard. And we saw this with, you know, Steven Matz throughout his career. We saw this with Edwin Diaz in 2019, where you could see the body language, the defeated body language before and after these events happen. And so you're hoping that if they do make a move or two, I would love to be able to rest Taiwan Walker for 10 days, make it retroactive, whatever it is, just skip a start so that he can get a breather in there because I feel like he didn't get any downtime going to the All-Star game and he gave up a bomb in the All-Star game as well. So he hasn't had any downtime and it's all been kind of piling up and you need this guy to be in the right right mindset, especially when you're trying to count on him to be one of those big starters uh, going down the stretch. Good news is Pete Alonzo hit one on my roof in Astoria. That was a bomb, four to 53 feet. I don't know how that wasn't one of his longest. I mean, he's hit a lot of bombs. So I guess upper deck doesn't always mean it's 500 feet. It felt like that. He is on, but they need more guys on. They need Conforto on. Luckily, they got the you know play of the week from him on that throw home and city field was electric after that play. And then Diaz finally gets the final out. That was big. And Jared Eikhoff will not be mentioned on the show ever again. You know, you're hoping he doesn't break your record because that would mean we have to see him again. He's, been dfa three times which ties you i am almost amazed that you were dfa three times because i don't remember i mean it's been a while it was 2008 i don't remember you being that terrible did you have any start that you gave up anything near 10 runs no i had a bad start against the d-backs right after i had been i had been down in the minors for like 17 straight starts and down in the minors in those 17 starts i never gave up more than three runs at any time so I was cruising, clicking on all cylinders, whatever you want to say. And I came up to the big leagues and the Diamondbacks ambushed me. And Mark Reynolds hit two home runs in the first two innings against me. One was a tape measure job that still all my friends talk to me about whenever they start saying, that's one of the longest home runs in City Field. And they wait for the to put up the longest home runs so they can see his name on there because they always send it to me. And I always tell them. You know, the big difference is, is that I was on the field when it happened and you were sitting somewhere in section. Uh, here he goes. Here he oh, goes. Well, I mean, it, it, that's the bottom line. So I, I would how many runs did you give up? Do you remember how many I runs gave you gave up? up? I gave up at least six. I gave up at least six runs in the first inning and two thirds. And I was like, oh, my God. So this is the series of events. I waited in the clubhouse and packed my own. I was like, all right, I'm out of here. So I, I wound up, all my stuff was unpacked nicely. I packed all my stuff up and was ready. Uh, the game ended and I was already sitting in Jerry's office, in Jerry Manuel's office. And I was like, all right, well, this has been fun. How and soon he, after? Was it like right after the game? Like, did no, he say no, no, come but to I, didn't get, I didn't get, no, he didn't ask. I was there already. I, I was like, oh. there's no, this is happening. 
because what happened was is I, I was a guy that could go deep into games. I was going, I was averaging seven innings a start down in the minor league. So I was expected to do at least that. It wasn't even so much about, you know, hey, if he gives up four runs, so what? He went seven. As I'm doing it, I look up and I'm like, okay, there's an issue. There's a big issue here because this game's going to end. And I only went an inning and two thirds of bullpen got wasted. So I went to meet Jerry so that I could tell Jerry that I would be in the bullpen the next day. Like I threw 63 pitches in an inning and two thirds. I said, I'll be ready the next day. I'll be able to do it. So knowing that the bullpen was spent, I said I wanted to make sure that I was available. And it didn't happen the next day. But the day after was the Jonathan Neese game where he blew out his hamstring covering first base. And I was down in the bullpen. I told him I would be available in my spikes. And Neese goes down. I'm watching. Then all of a sudden, Neese goes and tries to throw a warm-up pitch. And he buckles, falls down to the ground, tears the hamstring completely. And I go running in from the bullpen and have to warm up and get ready. And I wound up pitching, I believe it was like five and a third of relief. Did a really good job against the Cardinals and also hit a triple two RBIs that day. So I redeemed myself. So that's where I think I I understand the whole DFA thing uh, as it has happened in my career, because there's been different moments and different reasons why it wasn't just because I had a 17 ERA. I don't think that's ever happened. By the way, Starlin Castro has been, will be released after his suspension. Good job there by the nationals uh, as they don't stand for any of that nonsense, but yes, no more Eikhoff. Well, looking forward to a big weekend at City Field. Mets, Reds, be there at City Field before the Mets will take on the Marlins for four games next week. We'll see on Monday show what the roster will look like. Coming up next on Amazing But True, we hit the voicemails in You Got Mail. You've Got Mail. All righty, we have a packed an absolutely packed you got mail segment today the listeners call the fans called and if you want to call and be part of amazing but true 845-391-3660 if you hate the sound of your voice amazing but true pod at gmail.com is where you can find us figgy you ready to roll here we gotta we gotta run through a bunch so let's do it all right let's go you've got mail hey guys it's ken dash out from q104.3 fan of the podcast and fan of classic rock and the Mets especially so here we are at the trade deadline i don't want them to give up any blue chip prospects we don't have a lot but why rent somebody for two months or so to me this team feels like the Mets of 84 85 building a solid core add some more veterans along the way and let's go for it and get three four years of postseasons not one and done i leave it to you to discuss ken dashow q104 yes, sir hey you never know Who's going to call on the Amazing But True hotline? And Figgy, I get what he's saying. And When you talk about blue chip prospects, Alvarez is the one guy that jumps out on you. You know, single A. Mauricio. Mauricio as well. Vientos is maybe one, but he's one that a lot of people are talking about dealing. I'm with him in the fact that I wouldn't trade those guys for just the two-month rental. If you get a guy under control, you have a couple more years. I think you got to do it. I don't think I've ever sat back and said, man, we gave up too many guys for a known commodity. I even look at the, you know, the Mike Piazza deal, the Mike Piazza deal. You gave up top prospects. You had one who was playing in the big leagues and Preston Wilson. You had Ed Yarnell and you had those gets um, those three guys. Preston had a nice big league career but he wasn't Mike Piazza. So if I'm going to make a splash and that's what it's going to cost me, I'm not looking back on those. I even look back to the Cespedes trade, right? They went wound up getting Fulmer. He wound up being rookie of the year. Great, fantastic. Never panned out after that with all the injuries. Luis Sessa wound up being a pretty decent pitcher. His velocity increased immensely as a reliever. You know, he's done a nice job in the Yankee uniform. 
So that to me is where I'm looking at if it's going to be somebody that can be able to go right into this lineup and do some damage and help this lineup and lengthen this lineup, then I'm all for doing it. But as we know, I don't know if the lineup is really the biggest issue. More so than anything, it's going to be arms. You can never have enough arms. And we thought we'd never see Jared Eikhoff again. And yet we saw him one more time. Just one more time, I hope. I I look for the Mets to make a a trade to get at least a couple of arms to help out. Oh, you're lying. You want to see him one more so he will get four times DFA and not three and break. No, not at the cost of freaking 10 runs in three innings every time he goes out there. No, thank you. Well, 11 to 10, and then you'll be happy. Yeah, right. If if only. I'm good with the uh, Eikhoff experience. I'm waiting for bigger and better things. You've got mail. Hey, this is Doc Gooden. I have a question for Jake and Figgy. I know him. I'd like to know with the Mets, the way the pitching is going, the starters, um, the uncertainty of Jake DeGrom, the yeah. uncertainty of Carrasco, if he's going to be healthy when he comes back, and obviously Syndergaard. Are they looking to get one or two starting pitchers? My suggestion, just my opinion, I think they, I would go after at least two starters. You never have enough pitching, as that's been proven. I think the hit is okay. And me personally, I think J.D. Davis is a better hitter than Chris Bryant. So I'll be careful with going out to Chris Bryant and let Jenny Davis go. Thank you. Doc Gooden calling him. Friend of the Hot program. take. I mean, statistically, he has been. He's played a lot less games. I saw that. It was like in the last three years, he's actually better than Donaldson and Bryant when it comes to OPS. And yes, that, that's great. But there's just a big streakiness about this. There's a streakiness and there's a risk involved with everything. But you already have him in-house, right? So why? I think that's what it is. And you can't compare the defense and the fact that Brian no. play other positions effectively. Brian was an MVP. Left field, and he wasn't that great in left field. Brian was an MVP. So I, I, we heard just recently Baez clamoring, uh, almost lobbying to be you know alongside Lindor. Said he would play second base readily, play uh, alongside Lindor for the next however many years. They would make him a contract offer. That is a very appealing thing, especially if you're the Mets. Why not go after something like that? I think Doc hits it on the head. Do Grom, as as Doc likes to say, Degrom, which I actually like. His accent Degrom. comes out when he says it. <laughs> I like I like Degrom better than Degrom now. I think we're calling Degrom on the show. Hey, it's Doc Good and Tomato Tomato, whatever he calls him, that's what it is. You've got mail. Hey, Figgy and Jake, it's your girl Maggie Gray from WFAN. Hey, Hope the you guys are well. I've got two questions for you. My first one is about Marcus Stroman. Do you think that Marcus Stroman has shown the Mets enough? that he should be a priority to re-sign come this offseason. And my second question is a little outside the box, a little revisionist history. Do you think the Mets would be in the same place, better place, or worse place if A-Rod had bought the team and not Steve Cohen? Mm. You guys are doing well. Love the podcast. Talk to you soon. Okay. Oh, that Maggie Gray boy. Matt Gray calling in a cavalcade of stars on Amazing But True some good questions there, Figgy from Mag. Mm-hmm. He was a friend of the program and who we have had on the show. We got to have on uh, back on some point this season. On Strowman, I think if the price is right, I'm I'm, I'm kind of against like a seven year, two hundred million dollar deal, Figgy. But if you could get him for like three for sixty, I'm not opposed. But I wouldn't overpay for Strowman. I think we've seen signs that he could be an ace, and we've seen signs of him struggling. We've seen some, you know, some of the controversies that have happened. You know, he's confident in himself. He likes talk smack sometimes as a new yorker i like it but sometimes it can be distracting uh so in my opinion i think if the price is right you bring back stroman but 
I'm not about to sign him to five years, 150 or something in that range. Yeah, no, I mean, the market is all jacked up right now with the Trevor Bauer signing of, you know, one year and player option for the second year. You're looking at over $40 million for a starting pitcher. And Stroman's numbers are not exactly the same, but they're comparable where he has pitched in the American League East for a long, long time. And that's a very difficult division to pitch in. So it'll be interesting to see where he comps. You know, who's he more like? He's You're not going to get him on the cheap per se, but would he be willing to take, as I was just saying, he's looking at the landscape of what's going on and what teams are looking out there. I don't know if he wants to just go anywhere just a bit. Like, I can't see him in a Chicago White Sox uniform more so than I can see this kid wanting to do something special with the New York Mets because he's a New Yorker. That to me where if it's going to be a few less dollars and by a few less, I'm saying maybe two, three, five million per year less to take a hometown discount so that he knows that they can add something, a reliever, whatever it is to help make it easier on things. He's an interesting guy because he kind of gets it from the beginning. Speaking of ownership, when Cohen took over, Stroman decided he was all in. He decided he was all in right there. He took the qualifying deal and said, you know what? I want to be a part of this. So I think it's time to see if Stroman's going to put his money where his mouth is. This has been a few years of him saying that this is the best team in baseball and him wanting to be a part of it. He's now been a part of it. And yeah, Jake, I get annoyed with him as well because the antics sometimes go a little bit too far. You wake up the other team. You know, There's always a baseball adage, don't wake a sleeping dog. He goes through there and he's able to carve through the lineup. And there's always one thing that he has to do that's a little too flashy or show somebody up or take umbrage to somebody talking to him, God forbid, as much as he talks back. And that's where you see things kind of spiral out of control. And that's something that I think it's a maturity thing. And I'm, I'm hoping he can see it as well. Like we can pinpoint it to games. And I think if he watched himself, he would be like, you know, I, I'm better than that. I can see Stroman staying. Uh, the second part of the question, would this team be in the same boat with A-Rod and J-Lo as owners? Well, I don't know if they would have wouldn't even been together at this point, right? So how would that have worked? Yeah. It would have been it, that would have been the biggest controversy right there. They're, they're the Taylor the Swift would have had a whole album just on their on their break. <laughs> I honestly don't know because again, when you're talking about baseball minds and you're talking about guys who played in the previous era, constantly complaining about the new baseball, I could see a Rod trying to do things a little bit old school, and by that, maybe going and getting the big three superstars and banking on them and not having the depth that this team has had. We're at what almost fifty five Mets in uniform this year, which is unbelievable. I don't know if an A-Rod team would have been able to kind of survive that if they would have been built the same. I, I just don't know his philosophies on on the game and, and of that nature. I just feel like when you listen to him on ESPN, a little bit old school, right? The way he talks about starters playing 150 plus games, starting pitchers going seven plus innings. That's just not the way it's done anymore. And while we're still looking at all these injuries racking up, you thought it was going to be to preserve all these players and, and their health. I think the depth that the Mets have added and it's not necessarily Cohen, but it's Cohen okaying the moves is that Sandy Alderson and Zach Brown figuring out this is what had to be done. Zach Scott, sorry, Zach Scott figuring out what had to be done. Are the chicken fried in here? Zach Brown band? Uh... <laughs> Zach Scott having to, uh, you know, make these kind of moves. And it wasn't because for the first time, it wasn't because they were trying to save money. It was because they kind of could see that this team had a nice starting nine but what they needed was a starting 16 or starting 15 that they could go to and not really have a big fall off. Out of the chicken fried, cold beer on Black Friday night. I think it's much better with Steve Cohen for more so the off the field reasons, Figgy. The, the amount of page six and TMZs 
that we would have saw with A-Rod. Every little thing would have been critiqued. And I think the fans like having a, just a true blue Mets fan own the team versus, I know A-Rod, I guess, was when he was younger or mm-hmm. whatever. Was a Mets big fan. Keith Hernandez fan. Yeah, but like there would have been so many issues there, and then the whole J uh, Lo thing. I mean, him posting to his Instagram story the depressing uh, breakup would have been a big story. Like Mets owner crying over X, and then she's posting with Ben Affleck, and that ends up in the newspaper. Mm. There would have been so many controversies. Hey, God was the guy. The Mets. The Mets would have been on the back page of the newspaper, maybe even the front page of the newspaper, almost daily with them being the owners. I don't think as long as he builds the right baseball minds around him, that's what counts. Yep. You know, the A-Rod's the name, but it's not all about the name. And also, A-Rod has much less money than Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen's worth $14 billion. A-Rod is worth, what, less than a billion. So yep. it would have been a, a team of people. It wouldn't just been A-Rod as owner. Correct. It's like Jeter down in Miami. It would have been owner, the co-owner, the co-co-owner, the co-co-co-owner, the co-co-co-owner. Uh, it was like Jay-Z with the Nets. He was a 1% owner, but he was saying how he was bringing the Nets to Brooklyn. Yeah, it was just it, it's too many people where yep. we can say Uncle Stevie. We're not going to say <laughs> Uncle A-Rod, Auntie J-Lo, Cousin Gerald. And other oh, no, it was guy. the football players, too. All the football players that had lined up to help yeah, be that ownership group. Urlacher would have been part of it. Travis Kelsey. It's like, mm-hmm. what, I mean, what the hell's going on here? I, like, I, think, I think we're good. The, the family-run business right now is doing pretty well thanks to maggie gray for calling in great stuff you've got mail hey guys this is mark from stanford kind of two-part question number one why do you think michael conforto is so inconsistent offensively number two do you think michael conforto is worth a big money contract after the season thanks a lot guys have a good one and we we go from maggie to her co-host yeah mark Mark from stanford to try moose he tried to play it like they don't know who he I did. am. First we, time, first time, long time. First time, long time. Thanks, Moose. We get the co's calling in. Maybe we get Mike Francis coming up on the next voicemail. Who knows? But the injuries played a part. I also think the contract might be in the back of his head, Figgy. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, he had the clutch in in Pittsburgh. He had the, we talked about it earlier in the show, the incredible throw, the electric atmosphere, you know, the game-saving throw on Wednesday. It was incredible, but I don't know what it is. Maybe you can speak to it. I think the contract could be in the back of his head. I think the hamstring thing, maybe. I don't know what it is, but yeah, he has not been the best in the clutch throughout his Mets career unless he leans in with his elbow. Oh, boy. No, I think the moments have been few and far between, right? And that, that's one of the things that is, that is a knock against I love him as a player. Again, he's a guy in New York in this media market. You don't have to worry about off the field. When he is performing well, he is a upper 20s to 30 home run type hitter driving anywhere from 80 to 100 on a good season with guys in front of him. So you know what Nimmo is getting on and if he's in his zone of hitting the ball the other way. When he's hitting the ball the other way, those line drives that go over the shortstop head and wind up ending up in the seats in the uh, party deck, that's when you know Michael Conforto is right. So we've seen him a lot trying to almost force the action. It reminds me a lot of Lindor early on in the season, trying to pull everything and pull everything. Meanwhile, they're leaving the whole half side of the field open for him. And I think we started seeing him get a couple of hits that way, strung a a bunch of hits together. But then when he goes cold, he goes so cold. And and that's one of the things that you hope a guy going into his sixth season – can avoid. I, I'd love to have him because I still think he hasn't really put it all together yet. So I'm looking for a guy that can be consistent, but are you going to have to pay him 150 to $200 million? I don't think the market, because he's the youngest free agent outfielder that's going to be out there. That's the thing he has going for him. 
He's only 28 years old. So you're looking at get adding years because he's not yet technically in his prime, but he's been playing already since, you know, 2015. I like Michael Conforto. I wish he could come through in the clutch a lot more often. But when he does, it's like you expect him to be the guy every single time, and he's just not there yet. Thanks to Moose for the call. Again, let's see if we get an average civilian next. Here we go. You've got mail. Hi, Jake and Figgy. This is Bethany from Flushing. My question is, how do you think the pending DH in the National League will affect this year's trade deadline? Thank you so much, and I hope my question's being asked. Thank you. Thanks to Bethany. There's someone I don't know. There's a uh, there's a civilian. Civilian. I just like the word civilian. I don't know. Are we getting the DH next year, Figgy? Is I that- think we are. I think we're going to have the universal DH. I just think it's inevitable. It's just better for the game. It's better for pitchers. They don't have to be out there running, hitting, or trying to hit. You have to watch Taiwan Walker take strike three down the middle again with runners in scoring position. With one with two strikes. Well, I mean, that's, that's exactly what you're looking at, right? So the reality reality of it is that it's better for the game. The National League, I believe, is the only place that they have pitchers hitting on the planet still. Every league all around the world uses a DH because of that reason. You want the pitchers to focus on pitching and let the hitters hit. So I think that was a bargaining chip that the Players Association pulled back so that they could do something with that when they have the collective bargaining agreement here at the end of the season. If there was a left fielder that was a better athlete and everything else, and you could put Dom Smith as a DH every game or put Pete as the DH every game or like they had last year, that was that was awesome. You had a chance to do that with those three guys. And we forget that, you know, Cano was going to be back. I know I just thought about that too. It is crazy because then McNeil could move to third. You have DHJD. Dom has played so well in left field. I'd be perfectly fine. If he's, he's yeah, he's been he's been more than adequate. He's been more than adequate. You don't want it to mess with the team, but early in the season, you want to have as many able bodies as possible. And if he's still swinging the bat and able to you know play defense the way he does, then it's more power to you. Your roster is just that much deeper. What it hurts is a guy like Yorme and will VR come back? VR's played so well that you know somebody's going to want to give him an opportunity elsewhere. You can only have so many guys on this 26-man roster. It doesn't play out nearly as much as years, like we said, if you have years on your contract and you're a pitcher. That's the more enticing thing in the trade deadline than thinking about, oh, this guy could DH next year. I think you worry about that in the offseason because of those guys, again, are going to be on the free agent market, then you can go get them then. Yeah, and with how baseball is gone, we don't even know what they're going to do. You know, Rob Manfred has made so many mind-blowingly dumb decisions uh, that he could just make another dumb one and say, hey, we're going to have pitchers still hit in the NL, and we're seeing, you know, Jacob deGrom gets hurt. He gets hurt swinging. Walker gets hurt. We, we don't want to keep getting pitchers hurt because of a rule that should have never been there. We need a DH. So that's true. You know, Cano and his old, everyone's worried, oh, back into his 30s. Well, if there's DH, you throw him there. You have McNeil second. You've got mail. Big fan of the amazing podcast. I have a question for you. All right? I've been watching the Mets for a long time. This year, especially, they need a starting pitcher. Their group without DeGrom is averaging about five innings per start. Could Nelson Figueroa right now give the Mets more than five innings? <laughs> Uh, who is the best guy to start for, or who to, to trade for for the Mets out there that are available? It's your buddy Duke. And Duke, if you didn't know, if you can't tell by the voice, that is former Mets GM Jim Duquette. So the cavalcade of stars on the hotline keep on coming. I'm convinced we're going to get like Kim Kardashian next or something. You wish. Uh, no. <laughs> the Duke. I didn't know that was his nickname, Duke. Mm-hmm. I like that, uh, even though I'm a Maryland fan. And he's right. We're Everyone's going five, 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 five. You think it's the old Domino's deal. We keep getting these five-inning pitchers. Duke also asked, can you go five innings for the Mets, Vicky? Yes. Below the uh, hitting speed is going to be my forte. So everybody's used to seeing 95-plus. 
Uh, if I get it to 85, it would be great. So it'd be like I'm throwing every uh, changeups all the time, and these guys will be out in front. So I would absolutely love it in a dream, but in reality, it'd probably be real ugly. I'll get DFA'd right during the game. As- you'll have your black jersey on Friday, so I mean, you'll be in the stadium. Uh, you could always just walk down and just go out like there, like Superman, and- right? Yeah. If Cookie gets rocked early, I might go- wear my pants too, just in case. Yeah, just in case they need you. Wear the cleats. <laughs> You know, tell Bridget to stop pouring up double shots and just make sure you can get out there and pitch. Throw an EFIS at uh, 61 miles an hour. Thanks mm-hmm. to former Mets GM Jim Duquette, a.k.a. Duke, for calling in. Let's go back to the hotline. You've got mail. Hi, Dave and Sadie. This is Judy from Jersey. I have a question that actually has nothing to do with baseball. What is the one lesson that you wish you knew sooner? And you make me laugh every single time I listen to you. That's for you, Jake. All right. Thanks to Judy. Thank you for laughing. Thanks for enjoying the show and being a listener. Laughing at you or with you, Jake? That's uh, probably at me. It's it's fine. You could take this first. I got to think about this. Yeah, I think you're too young to even have learned any lessons. You're still making mistakes. Big mistakes. Good God, Jake. What do I wish I learned earlier in life? Control what you can control. I, I used to all the time think I understood what was going on behind the scenes, and you have no clue. So as a player... You're like, okay, I got called up. They need me to be a long reliever after this start. You know, the, the other guy that was starting is going on the DL, so I'm at least going to be there for 14 days. Have it all planned out. And what happens is you don't even know because I came. I remember I came up after the game. I only gave up three runs. I went six innings, gave up three runs. We lost three to two. Sure as, uh, as heck. Uh, I get done with my interviews saying, you know, I hope I'm able to help out this team in any capacity for the next few weeks, and let's see what happens. I get the tap on the shoulder, and I'm getting uh, DL. FA'd after the game. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Why not tell me that that's going to happen so I don't seem like an ass when I'm giving these answers? Cliche answers of just want to help out the ball club or anything. If I knew that was it, it was like, hey, it was a one-game audition. I gave it all I had. I wound up losing. I'll see you guys soon. Something of that nature. But control what you can control is something I preach to the young kids now that I work with. And I, I think that's something, once you let the ball go, whether they make a play or they don't make a play, the umpire calls it a ball or a strike, you can control only what you can control. So your effort, your intensity, and to leave it all out on the field every single time because you never know who's watching. Mine is not going to be as philosophical. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm have to go with a goofy one, and that's probably – I wish I didn't spend all my bar mitzvah money when I was in high school. I wish I learned how to save and be better financially younger uh, instead of blowing through uh, $10,000 uh, Mr. Mordecai through high school uh, on sports cards and memorabilia. So financially, and I'll, I'll give a serious one. I wish I heard my friends quote, show love, get love hmm. earlier on in my life. I feel like as soon as I got to college, I kind of wish I did that more like I do now back then. That's my deep philosophical one. Hmm. But the real one is I wish I just didn't spend money like a drunken sailor for the last 15 years of my life. Yeah, well, I mean, the bar mitzvah money, it was an investment. You were buying sports memorabilia. That's an investment. You don't know it at the time. You just think, I want to have it. I think it's cool. But, you know, some of that stuff has either gone up or down, depending on who you wound up going to get. I mean, if you were collecting, I don't know what cards you would have been collecting. Well, I have every Mets yearbook in history. So that was like my prideful collection. I met 69 Mets and got a picture signed. So it's a cool collection, but it's probably stuff looking back that I didn't need. It was great for my childhood and everything. But Mm -hmm. you're you're giving this deep philosophical. I'm like, give me that Mordecai money back. (laughs) You should have used it on matzo ball soup or something. I'm going to buy you a mench, mench on the bench for uh, Hanukkah. A mezuzah. <laughs> 
Chaim, Shabbat Shalom. Thanks to Judy from Jersey. Sorry to have anything better for you. 845-391-3660. If you want yours on next week's show, amazingbuttruepod at gmail.com. That's his adios to episode 73, the Travis Blankenhorn edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast on the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake, Sarah McCrory, and Brian Mugia for producing the show. Give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Send us an email at amazingbuttruepod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-391-3660. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday after the Mets three-game series with the Reds at City. Enjoy Black Jersey Friday and the weekend. We'll see you there. Let's go Mets.